This is a post-Christian podcast. We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Cool, man. Well, I'm glad we finally were able to connect. Yeah, Caleb, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm Caleb. That's Brian. This is Brian. Hey, Brian. I'm Scott. How are you? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Appreciate the time with you guys tonight. Yeah, of course, no man. Problem. Thanks for making the connection. And I'm surprised we hadn't uh, crossed paths on the internet at least uh, before, but I'm glad that we are now. So, Absolutely. So what podcast is this for? This is going to be on Sacred Collective. Yeah, this is the podcast. This is Brian. Um, it's kind of like my little passion project that I wanted to do for a number of years and kind of came into fruition. It's a good name. Kind of came into fruition and Caleb, kinda, if you know Jay Baker, um, Jay's up here in Minneapolis right. as well. And I've known Jay for, I followed him through Revolution since he was all the way back in Atlanta. And then so oh, yeah. he, when he moved here to Minneapolis like six years ago, I was like, I'm going to start going there. And then I've kind of stepped back a little bit from that, just doing stuff within my own tradition. And then a couple of years back, I saw Caleb and I was like, hey, you're new and let's hang out and became friends and kind of told him what I wanted to do with like this small group we were doing. And he's like, hey, I know I do audio stuff. I do podcasts and you want to just record and then the rest is history. And we've just kind of been going at it for like two years and it's where it's at. Yeah, we used to just do in, in Christianese what you might call a small group yeah. Kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And we would record that. It's kind of a, a group discussion around a certain topic. And we still do that, but then we do that every other week. And then on the off weeks, we do interviews like this. So, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, podcasting's a lot of work. So to be at it for two years, that's no small task. It is no small task. No. And I mean, some, some podcasts I've listened to over the years where I've just had to stop listening because then. You know, they bitch and moan. And feel free to say whatever you want on here. We don't really care about <laughs> editing curse words or anything out. Um, but, you know, people bitch and moan that, like, oh, I, I, you know, we don't have more than a thousand downloads a week. And it's like, you know, to us, it's not about that. It's whatever we say, if it can impact somebody or make them think or ask questions. And then we think what we're doing is important. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, that's right. That's right, you know. Um, I, uh, I I remember when we started the Holy Heretics, and uh, uh, that's that was it launched in January of 2017, and that same summer we went to Wild Goose Festival mm-hmm. and did a live podcast there, and you know I thought you know I tried not to get hung, hung up on the numbers either, but you know one of the curses. <laughs> of evangelicalism is, you know, it's all about the numbers. Correct. Yep. You know. Were you evangelical from birth, Scott? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Born and bred? For sure. Yeah, born and bred. Bible Belt boy? Oh, yeah, man. Born and raised in middle Georgia. Still in middle Georgia. Got it. Oh, yeah, I'm in the buckle of the Bible Belt. (laughs) But, um, But, yeah, I remember talking to the sound producer at Wild Goose Festival of Stage and you know, he was saying that he he lived in New York and 
he ran a podcast and I said, well, if you don't mind me asking, I said, you know, how's it going for you? I said, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're doing good or not. I mean, we have like on drop day, like 2000 downloads and, you know, we probably get a few more thousand before a week's up. And he was like, man, I'm lucky if I get 400 a month. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, I don't know if that's average, but hey, you know, I was like, okay, I quit. You know, it's hard not to focus on numbers sometimes because, you know, it's it's like the one thing you've got in podcasting. And it's like, you know, hey, am I actually connecting with people? You know, it's really the only evidence you might have. <laughs> but But, you know, even beyond it being about that, just doing something that, you know, um, makes your heart happy, mm-hmm. you know. What What was your intention when you uh, started the Holy Heretics? Oh yeah, so John Scott and and I we started the Holy Heretics podcast together in January of 2017. Okay, so whenever you guys all all started, when you started uh, Holy Heretics together, what was your expressed mission statement, if you will? What was your <laughs> What what was it that you were were looking to do? I know interviews were a main focus. I know you've had our mutual friend Jay Baker on before. Um, what, yep. what what was it that yep. y'all were kind of like setting out to do? Well, we had the five tenets from the purpose driven life in mind. <laughs> no, I'm just but <laughs> bringing um, souls to the Lord yeah, is the correct know. answer. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, John and I had been friends. Um, for as far back as I can remember, there's never been a time in my life where I did not know John Scott. And so he and I grew up in the same circles, went to some of like the same small private Christian school together for a time. And so, you know, we both ran in the same evangelical circles for forever. And, you know, he, we, as you, as it happens, you know, when you do, as you grow up, you grow apart from your friends. It's just the way life is. Um, but John and I, no matter kind of what circles we were in, we always kept in touch. He became a, an evangelical pastor at a very early age, and I'm talking like early 20s. Mm-hmm. And John's always been a very charismatic, outgoing, just magnetic personality. And dude is a hell of a singer. And so people have always been drawn to him, mm-hmm. and he got put in leadership, not because he wasn't, you know, a born leader, but he got, I think, because of his charisma and all of those things, like, you know, he had people that were in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, calling him pastor, and he was kind of, he had armor bearers. It was crazy, but... <laughs> wow. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, um, you know, as, as he started living life and experiencing some of the things that come along with pastoring. I was also pastoring too. And so he and I would often meet for lunch and just kind of trade war stories and like the, Oh my God, you know, the stories of, you know, Oh my God, I can't believe this is how it is, you know, doing this pastoring thing. Like we both thought it would kind of be so different. And so you know, we kept having those conversations off and on for years. And, you know, we we had lost touch for a number of years and then reconnected somewhere around, I don't know, 2014, 2015. And just started trading war stories again of the years that we had not talked. And, you know, we I, we both kind of were walking sort of the same evolutionary theological timeline, I guess you okay. could say, where 
our faith and our beliefs were evolving into a more, you know, inclusive as opposed to exclusive yeah. sort of stance. And um, we were like, you know what? We should turn microphones on and just record ourselves talking and put it out there and maybe somebody will listen. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of how it all came to fruition. Yeah. And we, you know, came up with the name Holy Heretics and came up with going to the mission statement question. We called it and still do call it um, Alternative Theology for Spiritual Misfits. That's great. And that's really at the weird. time, that was kind of a play on everything that was going on with Trump and alternative facts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so <laughs> we were just kind of using that and spinning off of that a little bit and say, you know, well, let's, let's call what we're doing alternative theology. Not to say that, you know, we were, we were aligned with Trump. You know, everything that we do, you know, from the very name Holy Heretics, I mean, it's just, it's a big, you know, poke at the bear of the system you know it's poking fun at the system it's like everybody takes this right. thing so seriously you know let's let's have some fun with yeah. it you know what was it that first started making you and your own personal uh experiences and just in the, in the sequence of events in your life and everything like that what was it that first kind of made you start to either question or or even step away from some of those evangelical ideologies that you did kind of inherited being in the Bible Belt and all that? Yeah, well, I grew up in a very um, strict environment of conservative, fundamental evangelicalism in, in a non-denominational church. And, you know, I, I tell people, and I've said this before on other podcasts, so I won't belabor the point in case they're repeat listeners, but long story short, I grew up scared to death, you know, um, we at the at the environment I grew up in, we did not believe in eternal security or anything. You know, like grace could run out. Right. You know, you were one bad decision away at any moment from going to hell, and um, that's that's just what I grew up in. Yeah. And in my early twenties, I, I became a youth pastor at the very church that I grew up in, and it was a big church. You know, um, I live in a very modest sized town in Middle Georgia, probably about a hundred thousand people. Um, but at the time it was the biggest church in town. So I'm the youth pastor at this biggest church in town. I've got all these inherited beliefs wow. and, um, I think, you know, that I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I mean, I really believe that really did. And I'm married at the time. My wife's working alongside me as the children's pastor. And, um, we go in at, to youth specialties conference in Atlanta in 2004, and I was exposed there to a lot of worldviews that were very different than mine, mm -hmm. a lot of theolo theological opinions that were very different than mine, but still within the boundaries of um, an orthodox Christianity. And, you know, just barely in the boundaries, some of it, but still in, inside the lines. Yeah. And one of the people there was Jay Baker. Yep. <laughs> And Jay gave, a, Jay gave a talk from the main stage um, about tolerance and inclusion, and it really just kind of shook me to the core. And my experience with youth specialties, and it, it kind of made me start, start seeing things through a different lens, and I began to 
question, you know, safely because again, I'm I'm still within the boundary lines of right. Christianity, but I start to I start to question some of the things I'd always heard, especially along the lines of grace, you know, grace expiring or grace running out on you. I remember I said to the pastor's wife. Um, you know, if, if grace can run out, then was it ever grace? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and she says, well, are you, are you saying that you don't believe? I said, I said I'm not saying that. I'm, it's a question. If grace can run out, was it ever really grace? You know, and she's, she's well, I just don't know. You know, and it, it wasn't long, you know, before um, I became very uncomfortable in that role as a youth pastor in the church I'd always been in all my life. I mean, basically all my life. And so um, it just reached a point after about six years where it was time for me to go. And I resigned and and moved on, as did my wife. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, here we are 10 years later. We're still just fine. Yeah. You know, so there is the life. There is life after. Uh, but e- even at the time of my resignation, um, I-, I did not walk away from. Uh, you know, at that time in 2009, when I left, I didn't even know what evangelical Christianity was. I didn't even know there were different streams of Christianity. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm a Christian, you know. Right. And so, you know, I was still very, very much in that stream, very much um, assigned um, a, a faith-based language to my reasons and purpose for leaving. Yes. And, um, you know, I can look back on it now and... and maybe see things a little bit more clearly, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was just time to go. And, and I I always call it a holy discontent. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just had this, this discontentedness within me that, you know, things aren't really, um, the way that I always thought they were the way I was always told that things have to be exactly this way, or at least, uh, maybe they could be that way, but maybe there are other options for how things are really working too. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, would you say that you still feel that kind of discontent, as you phrased it, or uh, would you would you say that that you've kind of uh, come to resolve any of that in your life? Have you adopted new maybe theologies or philosophies or worldviews or, or even suspicions? around those sort of things that uh, that kind of answer some of those questions sparked by that discontent? Or are you? do you feel like you're still in a, a stage of kind of wrestling through it all? I mean, I guess that wrestling never really ends, but I'm just curious as to, from you leaving, quote, you know, leaving in, in whatever capacity you did to now, I'm just curious how your journey has, how it's taken you to get to where you are now and, and what that is, what it looks like where you are now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been 10 years, a little over 10 years now since I left youth pastoring and haven't worked in a church since and have no desire to whatsoever. Um, I've actually spent the last 10 years working in hospice in various capacities, but the most of that time is a chaplain and a uh, what we call a bereavement coordinator, someone who provides um, aftercare to the families for the year following the death. Oh. Um, that's heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah, it can be for sure, but it can also be a really beautiful too. Um, it can be both of those things uh, yeah, at the same time absolutely. too. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but anyway, you know, back when we started the Holy Heretics podcast in 2017, 
um, I was still very much wrestling with all of the baggage of my evangelical upbringing. I didn't think that I was, though. See, that's that's the <laughs> that was the trap <laughs> I yeah. set for myself. I guess right. I thought I was good. I thought I was good. Mm. And then when we started having all of these conversations and all the heretics with people like. Jay Baker and Rob Bell and Peter Rollins yeah. and you know Jen Hatmaker and right. you know all these people. The more I listened to the conversations, the more I talked, uh, the more angry I became. I mean, just I got to the point about eight or nine months in where I told John, I was like, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I've got to stop here. I, I've got to take a hard stop. Because I really don't think I can stomach these conversations mm. anymore, you know. And it, 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 it's, it's still, you know, within Christianity, all streams of it, you know, the Bible is used by both the Republicans, the Democrats, and everyone in between, you know, to justify their positions. And so, yeah, and that was one thing I got really frustrated with. I was like, you know everybody's using the Bible to justify their position and it's just a merry-go-round of conversation. And I just want off the merry-go-round. Yeah, yeah. I can't take it anymore, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and <laughs> there's got, we've got to cut a different path here, or at least I had to cut a different path, mm. you know? And so I, I left the podcast, I got really frustrated. And, and since September of 2017, with the exception of a podcast appearance here and there, you know, I've been pretty quiet just wrestling through all of it. Um, yeah. I, I feel at peace and not only at peace, but a really strong desire and a want to to sort of get back on that horse and mm. start the Holy Heretics podcast again yeah. with John, and which we are doing. Uh, it relaunches first season April 7th. Um, but. You know, I'm not fooling myself in that I think like, oh, I'm I'm all good now. I've wrestled all the way through it. Like you said, yeah. you know, there's going to always um, be more work to be done. Oh, you know, but I, I think the point of where I'm at now um, is just that you know, I used to always try to. Well, first off, I, I don't believe in a, a literal God, man in the sky anymore, mm -hmm. you know, so that changes that changes the shape of things yep. real quickly. I'm definitely OK with the term God, but my perception and understanding of God has changed drastically. Yes. Um, I don't carry the label Christian anymore. Um, at first, that was in sort of rebellion to the 81% of evangelical <laughs> Christians who voted for Trump. Right. But, you know, these days, um, the historic creeds of Christianity, they don't hold a lot of meaning for me. And so I, I, I don't carry the term Christian. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am solidly okay with the term and the idea and all the various definitions that come with God. And I mean, I better be okay with them because there's nothing I can do to stop them. Uh, but, you know, um, these days, you know, and it, maybe this sounds cliche, but I view Jesus along the same lines as, you know, any other enlightened spiritual teacher, yeah. whether it be the, the Buddha, Lao Tzu, or anybody else. Sure. 
um, who is a revelation, um, a revealing of a higher way of thinking and perceiving and living um, in this created world. And, you know, one of the, I, I still regard the Bible very much as a, a sacred text. And, you know, for me, all religions are just languages. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we grow up perhaps on a certain language or a certain religion. You know, this is the lens through which we are taught to see the world. Yep. And we learn that the, that the lens is cracked. And at first we get mad about it because the lens was never supposed to be cracked. You know, this was supposed to be the perfect, the only way oh, yeah. lens, you know, totally. and over time, I've over time I've made my peace that, Hey, the lens is cracked and sometimes it's busted all the hell. Sometimes it's shattered yeah. and, and that's okay because this is not an absolute truth that I'm trying to aspire to so much as it is a way of seeing and moving and being in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. That's very well put, man. Um, and just to share a little bit about myself, I, I kind of see it in a very similar way. A lot of the ways that you express that really to use a little Christianese again, resonated with me. You know, a lot of that, that really, uh, I can really relate with. I see, I, I do choose to still call myself a Christian, which is almost, um, almost an intentional thing to try to, I like to try to reclaim a lot of terms, um, you know, around the church and around Western Christianity. Right. And so for me, a way of trying to reclaim Christianity is to say that, uh, you know, I, I, I view belief as being very fluid and I would say most days I would call myself either a non-theist or an atheist. Um, but there are, there's maybe I'd say two times a month or so where I do feel like I believe in God. And I do feel like I feel a familiar presence. Um, whether or not that matters, whether or not that presence um, has any sort of cognizant capacity, you know, whether or not that's a decision-making presence, right? whether that not, or not that's a, 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 a presence with an agenda that wants, you know, souls to be saved or wants people to be- behave in a certain way, you know, beyond all that. Um, but I, I choose to still engage with Christianity because... For me, I see it as like you were saying, almost like being being broken. Um, I see it like like a sinking ship, almost that I have every right to choose to jump off of and try to swim to shore, or, or, or you know, get a life vest on or something. But I'm I'm choosing to try to patch up all these <laughs> violently, um, you know, these these violent uh, leaks that are that the water's just going everywhere and. Uh, it's it's not easy and it's messy and I'm I know I don't have to be doing it but it's something I choose to try to engage in. Um, but I, I really I really feel like everything that you said really kind of hit home with me and I, f- I feel a very similar way about it. And it's a tradition I think that that has been around for a long time for a reason and so therefore I think we can learn from it. And on top of all that, I was born into it and saturated with it and and it's my first language. It is yeah. the, the dialect. <laughs> with which I am most familiar and I'm never going to forget it. And so it's like, well, shit, if we got all these pieces of rubble everywhere, you know, maybe we can try to build something new out of it. But Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, it's religion in any shape, form, by any name, it is a meaning-making device. It's a technology, mm. you know. And so uh, that that's a lot of what I do in the work of chaplaincy, 
you know, most of the people that I visit and, you know, uh, provide care to, they don't ever know what I believe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the people I work with, they don't know what I believe. And because it's not, it's not really about that, you know, it's about what, it, what do they believe? Um, how can I help them find meaning and hope and peace, perhaps, uh, in whatever it is that they believe, you know? And so, uh, you know, if, if it gives you a meaning and a sense of purpose, then I think that's a good thing. As long as you, as long as the meaning and purpose that it gives to the individual, because I don't say you, Caleb, because I know this wouldn't be you, but if if it gives, like if if Christianity, if the meaning it gives to some, you know, redneck over in Alabama or Georgia, I'll pick on Georgia. I live in Georgia. <laughs> if, if it gives a redneck in Georgia a meaning to, you know, a way to hate people and to, you know. Um, discriminate and and hate against people then that meaning is toxic yes. and needs to be called out absolutely you know that's not okay right. yeah. <laughs> but you know right. if it if if it gives you a great sense of peace to believe in a literal god who literally intervenes you know in life's affairs for your good mm. and has a plan and purpose and you take that literally knock yourself out yeah. <laughs> you know? right it's, it's, no skin off my no skin off my back yeah you know? <laughs> for sure when you first started kind of realizing um that you that you were probably you know choosing to actively consciously engage in this deconstruction or you know whatever there's all these buzzwords deconversion deconstruction whatever you want to call it um right. did, did that when you first started being public about the, the fact that that's what you were going through did that affect like your social circles and your standings with uh, friends and family yeah, I lost my ordination, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was a pretty big That's deal. Pretty big one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that I lost, have lost a lot of friends, and I don't say that, you know, to say that I'm a martyr or anything like that because <laughs> yeah. I'm not, you know, um, not at all. I'm I'm just a guy who, you know, has walked his has been true to his experience. And sometimes when you're true to your experience, your circle gets a lot smaller. Yeah. In fact, almost, in my case, would shrink down to nothing. And so, yeah, it, it does cost a lot to be who you are, mm -hmm. especially if the context in which you find yourself in is not favorable to your truth. Right. Um, but, you know, it's okay because... I, you know, I, I don't even know if I'd know how to give a sermon anymore. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I would know how to even pretend to be somebody that I'm not in terms of, you know, those evangelical circles. Right. Um, but it did cost, it did cost me a lot. You know, it, it cost me my ordination. Um, it cost me a lot of friends. Um, it cost me, tension in my family yes. um not my immediate home but with my my brother um some with my parents um it, it it cost a lot and some of those things are on the mend some of those things i don't want to be on the mend <laughs> um you know but it does it does cost you something for sure yeah. it cost me absolutely 
Hey, you know, I wanted to go back to something you were saying a minute ago. Um, it sparked a, a thought in me. You know, you you talked about um, whether or not there's a, a conscious, you know, being perhaps. I, th- I think this is what you were saying, you know, a, a conscious being, you know, out there somewhere who, you know, might be orchestrating it all. Yes. Is, is that sort of what you were getting yeah, at a minute yeah, ago yeah. when you were mm-hmm. talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um I do believe I have things happen to me all the time that I can't explain. Mm-hmm. Well, no, not all the time, but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> happen to me that I can't explain. Um and I do experience what I would call a holy spirit. Mm-hmm. You know. Um Rob Rob Bell calls it a sacred hum. Um just the other day this was in my work in hospice, um, I was with a family, their, you know, loved one was dying, you know, and, um, the family wanted me as a chaplain to say a prayer and read some scripture. And I did with absolute, you know, joy and, you know, no sense of, no, oh, I'm not being true to myself yeah. because again, it's not about me. It's about, escorting people helping people and what they believe and supporting them and so it had been a really long time because i hadn't up until recently done chaplaincy work in a couple of years i'd sort of been in administrative roles in hospice um but i was really nervous when this family asked me to say a prayer and i was like oh good god i don't even remember you know, all the rehearsed prayers that I used to have. Yeah, sure. You know, I forgot them. (laughs) And so I started praying, and the prayer was really just a reflection of the moment, of the the hours-long interaction with the family. You know, I had picked up on themes of peace and hope and love. Mm -hmm. And so the prayer prayer was really just a reflection Mm -hmm. of those themes things that were already present within them. Yeah. And you know, when I said amen, man, I got the goosebumps, you know, the warmth. Yeah. The the as John Wesley said, my heart was strangely warmed, you know. I and I remember growing up as a kid, you know, in, in church getting the goosebumps and you would think, oh, the Holy yes. Spirit just walked yeah. in the room, mm-hmm. you know, like the the great other came in now. God is here. But how I've come to interpret that now through my deconstruction, deconversion, reconstruction, whatever you want to call yeah, sure. it, you know, is that that experience is very real mm-hmm. and cannot be denied. But what has changed is not the reality of it, but how I interpret that reality. Yes. Mm-hmm. My my interpretation of it back when, like I just said, was that God just came in the room. But now what I've come to understand is that the Holy Spirit can only be found when, and this is going to sound, you know, to borrow a term from you, really Christianese, <laughs> but that, that feeling of transcendence mm-hmm. only happens in the context of community. Yes. You can't get it. You can't get it by yourself. Mm-hmm. And so... To go back to the the passages and the the stories I heard in my youth, maybe there is something to this idea 
of where two or three are gathered, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much or at all that something up there comes down here, but that something within us is joined together with each other. And whatever that thing is, that joining together, that is holy. That is holy. Absolutely, man. So well put. Yeah, and I think this is Brian again. Um, I think what you said, kind of understanding the div- the divine or the transcendent can only be understood in community is, I agree 100%. Because, I mean, I've grown up in the church. I grew up evangelical. I grew up with some of God, if you're familiar with that. Um, that has its whole sense of the charismatic. Anyway, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we started this podcast and a lot of the people who are a part of it is like, this is one of their like only kind of communities that they're a part of and, you know, having great conversations and not just that, but like, I, I you know, I'll tell my wife, you know, cause she's more, I don't know, I'm not going to speak for her fully, but like, she's more kind of moderate in a lot of her views. And, you know, she's even like, you know, coming when we meet, you know, every other week, and just have a conversation. There's there's just something where you can be open and vulnerable, not be afraid of what the pastor might say or what this person in church might say, but, you know, kind of right. coming with that openness and that vulnerability with, you know, friends or even, you know, you know neighbors or whatever. And kind of, I think, you know, and going back to that scripture that we kind of said wherever two or three are gathered, I mean whether we want to look at that or not is that has true meaning. I do think it in a way it does have meaning because when, you know, you have two or three people opening up, up about their lives and their, you know, ups and downs and, you know, cares and concerns. I mean, that is community. And I do think at the core of what I think Christianity tried to get at, whatever language you want to use was just trying to, to build that basis of community, you know, just, the core of, right. of of community and we've part of my language we've kind of fucked it up over the last couple thousand years of what that community right. what that community looks like is completely different from I think when Jesus was on the scene to compare to what most people look at what church is now. Mm-hmm. People don't really realize, especially, you know, Western Christians how much that their context is influencing their view of Christianity, you know, as did Jesus's context, cultural context mm-hmm. influence his view in his day. You know what? Sure. So Richard Rohr calls it, you know, we've all got our own personal salvation project, you know, in the first half of life. And it's, it's so true. And could it really be any other way in America with our individualistic culture, whereas Jesus and, you know, the in his time, it was a collective culture. It was uh, nothing was really individualized, and so we we've definitely over a couple of thousand of years have lost one of the heartbeats of Christianity, which is just what you're saying that community experience. And because the church has made its core tenets, or at least in my opinion. Uh, shame and guilt mongering. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not we are not allowed to develop authentic community because we can't 
you know, I, I think was we can't come in and be transparent with who we are. Nobody's probably ever going to be fully transparent anyway. Um, but we're not even a little bit transparent in the American church. You know, we're very guarded and, and you have to be, they, they've taught you, you have to be because, you know, to, to be, um, with sin as they would define it is, you know, nothing but a shame and a guilt game. And, and, you know, shame and guilt have killed the American church. They've, you know, two or three, you, you can have two or three together like I did at that bedside and experience some community that's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You can go to church in America on a Sunday morning and have two or three hundred people in a room and you'll walk out the door uh, feeling maybe more alone than when you walked in. There, yeah, there won't even sure. be a possibility of community. Yeah. And it's because of the environment that's just been created. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with the getting back to the core of community that should be there. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Yeah. I think you can even find, if you want to, if you so choose to, you can find that point being made by Christ, you know, in the New Testament and even by other New Testament authors is uh, that, you know, we, we are the body of Christ and we're we're different members of the same body, which obviously... Um, it, it, it's it's going to vary church to church and by the resources that you have, both personnel resources and just like where you're located and the type of uh, financial climate that you're in. Right. Um, but I think that there's a lot of importance to be remembered that we all serve different purposes. An arm isn't going to go flop around by itself and get a whole lot done. <laughs> you know, a, a, a brain, the most intelligent brain in the world isn't going to do a whole lot unless it's hooked up to a nervous system. You know, a body has to, it, it is reliant. I don't want to say codependent, but it, it is dependent upon all the members in order to function effectively and to make changes that need to be made. And there's going to be issues and there's going to be conflicts within that body. But I think that it is just a powerful metaphor for the fact that we, we need each other, we thrive off of each other. And... Uh, I think it's very also very easy to make an argument scripturally that how we treat others is how we treat Christ. How we treat other members of the body is how we treat the whole body of Christ as a whole. And uh, yeah, and I think that you can you can observe that with or without religion, with or without uh, scriptural references. But if you look for it, you know, in Christianity or at least in the texts of Christianity, whether or not it's being practiced. I think it's very easy to find an argument for the importance of community. Yeah, totally. I I agree with you there. It's um you know you know the problem is is that so many people serve so many different Jesuses, mm. you know. Mm. <laughs> and um you know every, everybody's Jesus is a little bit different, I guess. And so you you've got to you got to find the Jesus that you know, you can roll with, um, you know, evangelical Jesus. I, I can't roll with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's all about finding your fit, but while you find your fit, making sure that you being found doesn't in some way do harm to someone else. Absolutely. And, yeah. and if it does, well, then your fit is ill fitted. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you said, Scott, was exactly 100% on because I've said to, you know, other people, like, I'm not an atheist as, like, a capital A, but as a smaller A because I've, 
you know, kind of punted away and, and rejected certain views of Jesus as they were shown to me. So, like, the evangelical Jesus, I'm atheistic towards that Jesus because I don't think that Jesus is the appropriate, right. you know, archetype. But, and I'm, you know, I'm more progressive in my faith now, but even certain progressive, you know, views on, on Jesus, I'm like, I, I've kind of punted. So, and I agree 100%. Like, I, I feel like I can have my view on Jesus and who Jesus is or what the divine is. But if that, you know, if I'm an ass to someone or if I'm, you know, if my view can cause someone, you know, to cause them pain or whatever, then I need to be careful about that. But when I say that to people, you should right. see, you should see, like, especially when I say to my evangelical family, like, I use that a word like you, if you use either agnostic or atheistic, <laughs> they freak out and you're like, well, no, it's not saying fully. But, you know, when I say I've had to reject certain, you know, views or understandings about God and I've had to be agnostic or atheistic on that, they don't understand that. And right. all that I'm trying to say is those were, you know, really hurtful and toxic ways of understanding God. And you can punt those aside and come up with more and under you know and more beautiful ways and inclusive ways of understanding Jesus. So I liked how you articulated that. I think that was you know you know really well right. kind of resonated with me. Yeah, I've I've encountered that in my own family too, and you know, um, I've had to learn the hard way. You've just got to let people be who they are and where they are. Yeah. Sure, and um, all you. All you can be is who you are and where you are too. Um, I th- I think what you're expressing, uh, both of you, but what you just said, Brian, is really a compassion oriented worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as the atheist word goes, um, I-, I carried around you know that identity for a couple of years after the Holy Heretics podcast. Um, and the way I would say it now is almost exactly just how you said it. You know, I'm an atheist to some things. I'm agnostic to some things. I'm a believer to some things. But sometimes to mess with people, I will just say, atheist, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and they'll get the big eye. They'll get the big eyes and say, what? I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've all got gods we don't believe in. Mm-hmm. For Absolutely. sure. And um, sometimes I'll say that just to sort of gauge where I might be with somebody on their journey. For sure. Uh, if they can hear that, if they can hear that, I know we might can talk a little bit more. If they can't hear that, then the conversation might be over right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're all believers. We're all atheists. Um, I, and I think the sooner we can all realize, uh, for me, a, a high truth is that when I'm listening to anyone talk about God or Jesus or some other divine figure, when I'm listening to anybody explain to me what they think or who they think God is, well, that's just a metaphor for them telling me about themselves and what is yeah. deepest within for them. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Totally. You know? that. That's a great observation. And, and yeah, and so if 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 I want to know about you, all I've really got to do is just ask <laughs> you or ask someone. You know, tell me what you think about God. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that's, 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 
You know, mm-hmm. then, so right. then I then I find out. I don't find out who God is. I find out who you mm-hmm. are. You know. Yeah. Yep. I think that you can say, um, in a few different contexts, I think that you can say that God is the ideal. Now, whether or not that ideal was there before your belief system was established or before even it was even created, uh, you know, is irrelevant. Um, well, I guess in, 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 on some level it's irrelevant, but but that that just as easily that ideal of what you what you're seeking after, what you're modeling your behavior and your ethics around, uh, is modeled after either a theoretical or a literal God. You know, I think I think that the, the this ultimate thing to be sought after this this way to love and this way to interact with people and this way to set up priorities and uh, and 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 just to move throughout life is always modeling either a God that that you were told about, you know, at some point, or a God that was already there and told him or herself about us. You know, either way, God is this ideal thing mm-hmm, that we are trying mm-hmm. to model. It's an archetype that we are we are uh, seeking to model in our own lives, and that's and that also I think is why re- religion is a practice is because it's an ideal that is never fully attained, and we reach enlightenment and then we're on coast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think enlightenment is three simple words. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, and, and there are a lot of teachers that have said that over you know thousands of years. Um, but the there's a there is a whole lot of peace to me, a whole lot of peace, and just learning to be content with the way things are, mm-hmm. not the way and and somehow learning to be content with the way things are. I would call it the way things are God. Hmm. Learning how to be content with God helps me to have a peace that really does somehow exceed my limits of comprehension. Yeah. The Bible would say it's past the peace that passes all understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, and, and it's life. Life has taught me that tragedies and failures as well as love. But suffering mm. has taught me that, you know, there's just a way that things are. And yeah. there's there's nothing I can do to uh, comprehend or explore the depths of the way they are. They just are. Yeah. They just are. Mm. And when I when I can accept the isness of this of reality and I find myself at peace. Yeah. And. That doesn't mean that things don't hurt like hell in the moment, you know, but things just are what they are. I I always say, you know, if I'm with a patient and the patient says to me down here in the south, we have a saying, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if if a hospice patient says to me, it is what it is, I'm like, okay, well, we're done. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you're good. You know that that's the southern. That's a very uh, southern Buddhist yes. saying. Yeah, almost Taoist. <laughs> totally. But um, but yeah, I I I've learned to just just roll with the punches. I guess you could say, and 
And for me, when, when I came into that understanding of just accepting things as they are, yeah, without a need to change them, without a need to understand them, um, somehow that lack of need to understand brought me into a greater understanding. Mm. Um, I, I totally get now the scripture for the me- the metaphor that's being drawn there, the the imagery when God tells Moses, you know, my name is I am. You know, to me and how I hear that is everything that is, is God. Everything, you know. Um, when some when there's a tragedy, I am. And, you know, I, you know, when I, I just it resonates so much with me now. And it's a great way for me to sort of reclaim um, the tradition that I grew up in is that, yeah, I mean, things just are, and I just am. Yeah. And somehow that is just enough. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Mm, yeah. And I, I had a, a very terrible tragedy in my family, uh, January 1st of 2015, my nephew died of pediatric brain cancer. Oh my goodness. And he fought a two and a half year battle. And, he was only six years old when he died, oh my God. and it was very difficult on my family, and we still live with the grief of that, and we, and we will forever. Um, but I can remember a pastor told my dad, who was, my, of course, my nephew's grandfather, told my dad that, you know, maybe God is doing this, and Maybe he's going to die because God can see down the road and his life is going to be hard. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is God's mercy, you know, in his death now. And my dad was telling me this as a way to sort of, I guess, say, get assurance from me. And I just remember thinking, like, you are going to drive yourself crazy trying to find an answer to this. Mm-hmm. And there will never be any peace in that search. No. Because every answer will always be insufficient. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the only answer, the, the only answer in all of that that has given me peace is that there are no answers. Yeah. That's the answer. There are no yeah. answers. Things just are what they are, and it's the isness of this life, you know. Um, and of course, you know, I said, I think I said to my dad in that moment, I'm like, well, if God just wanted to save him from what was going to be a turbulent, perhaps harmful future, then why does he have to suffer for two and a half years? Why can't he just take him out in a car wreck? Yeah, absolutely. You know. And, you know, it was like, well, we can't understand God's thoughts. And I'm like, yeah, precisely. So let's not try to think them. (laughs) (laughs) You You just got to think you and I are (laughs) like, yeah, you're just going to you're just going to torture yourself in what's already a tortuous situation. Just stop. Stop. I'm telling you, you can you can make yourself go crazy trying to find sanity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you and I got a lot of a lot of like cut from the same cloth because of doing ministry myself. I mean, I'm almost ordained in my tradition, but part of me wants to give up because I have like CPE, if you know what that is, 
clinical pastoral education, but um, I feel just... Oh, you've done CPE. Well, I, have, well, I have to do one one unit of it because I, I have my theological degrees and I've done internships and and all that, but, you know, my wife's a stay-at-home mother and... You know, I am the primary breadwinner yeah, of the family. I, I hear you. And like my denomination just can't, they can't see like, oh, you, you can't survive on one, you know, like, you you know, you can't just quit and yeah. live off of loans. No, I can't. No, but I mean, kind of what I was like, what you've been saying is just, I've gotten excited because I'm like, oh, there's other people who are like me and <laughs> you know how we, how we think these. Cause like when my father passed away, like I was 22 so like 15 years ago and i mean he died in a church where i was interning um of a heart attack mm. and i found him and i mean i remember people saying oh well you know god took him home and you know god must have needed another huh. angel oh, or you know god you know oh god, geez, don't get me started god must have needed this person and i remember you know i tell people and i i mean i tell some of my evangelical friends and family like the closest I've ever felt to God is when I told God to fuck you, you know, mm. pretty much to fuck off. <laughs> and I mean, it was in a Pentecostal church and I knew in my heart that like my dad was gone and I had all these people being like speaking in tongues or what they maybe thought was speaking in tongues, you know, and all these things. Oh. And I remember just sitting in the corner of this room, seeing a sheet over my dead father, just being like, fuck you, God, you know, like, fuck you. Like, I've been called, quote-unquote, into ministry, and now this person who, you know, helped bring me into this world and bring me up in the faith is now dead, you know, and, you know, no one should ever find their parent or kid or anybody, you know, dead. It's a tragic thing. But then having people in the church being like, oh, you know, like, maybe God needed to send them home or do whatever, and like what you were saying, like, Sometimes having no answers is the correct answer. You know, if sometimes saying, like, we don't know why this shit happens, it just happens. Don't attribute it to God. Don't attribute it to whatever. Just being like, hey, I'm sorry that this happened. I don't know why this happened, but I'll be here with you in whatever capacity, you know, you need me. And I think that's where it's at. And I think, I mean, that's one thing I tell people that at least seminary did teach me is seminary did teach me they're like you don't have all the answers so whether you're doing a funeral a wedding a tragic thing happens don't sugarcoat it don't lie just say i don't know why this happened and i'll you know and and say you know i'll i'll help you as much as you need me or as little as you need me but to be like don't don't make god the villain don't make yourself the villain just step back and say i'm going right. to be here with you in your grief in your sorrow and that kind of goes back to community and then we can grow together to help mm-hmm. you through this as much as we you know as we can right that's right yeah it's like you know in the scripture uh job in his grief you know he had these three friends and they were great until they opened their mouth <laughs> and when they started yep. Yep. when they started talking it all went downhill from there mm-hmm. um but yeah, you know, in, in hospice and in pastoral care, and I'm sure you know this, we call that the the ministry of presence. You know, the the and it really is an art form of learning just how to be with someone in their suffering. And mm-hmm. if we 
if, if, if you know, and 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 I know very little of y'all's story, of course. And, and thank you for sharing that with me, Brian. That that means a lot that you would share that with me. Um, but to to think about in our lives the moments when we have suffered, when I've suffered, you know, such tragedy and loss, like with my nephew, and even with others. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember anybody's, you know, words to me. The the thing that sticks out to me the most is the day after his funeral when I went back to work because I, quite frankly, I just didn't know what else to do. I didn't want to stay home. Mm. I, I, I just wanted to try to get back into a routine. But, you know, it's like walking and the earth is upside down and you're right side mm. up. I mean, everything's just right. very disorienting. And I was sitting at my desk trying to plot out, okay, who am I going to check on who's bereaved today? And here I am in this mess. But one of my coworkers got up from her desk, walked over to me, gave me a hug, and walked back to her desk and did not say a word. And when I think back of, of all the interactions that I had at the time of his death, that one is the most impactful. And it was because it was only and simply presence you know and going back to the community and transparency you know i wish communities exist and and you know i i think it probably is this true is true for revolution there in in minneapolis but you know where you could say you know fuck you god and everybody would be like yeah tell me more you know what's going on there yeah i think i've done that before actually yeah, I mean, I, I wish there were. I wish there was a community in my town that was like that. I'd be there, you know, every week. That'd be amazing. But those those places are few and far between. But they're also the next wave of what's coming. I really do think they are. Uh, yeah, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely, yep. believe so. Well, Scott, um, sounds like uh, you've gone through a lot of lot of shifts and changes. Uh, especially since leaving uh, Holy Heretics. Want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Holy Heretics is relaunching. Um, talking about earlier when we were uh, talking about, you know, the name Holy Heretics itself, Alternative Theology for Spiritual Misfits, it's all designed to just kind of uh, poke fun at the system a little bit while also thinking thoughtfully about it. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> in an effort to advertise and promote that we are relaunching in um, April, uh, the hashtag for the relaunch is uh, hashtag second coming. So <laughs> that's great. That's nice. Great. Nice. So, yeah, we're excited about it. Um, you know, John did continue on the podcast um, intermittently. Well, consistently and then intermittently, you know, it's a, it's a lot to do as y'all both well know. Uh, but you know, the, the Holy heretics didn't come to a full stop when I left, John continued on with it. Um, I don't think he's released any episodes in maybe like five or six months, if I'm thinking right. Mm -hmm. Um, he's actually working in chaplaincy too, uh, more on the mental health side in the, in a clinical setting. But anyway, um, we have talked and we're reforming, we're getting the band back together and, (laughs) you know, we're still going to be. 
we're still going to be the guys that we've always been, you know, poking fun at things, having a good time with things, you know, nothing's off limits. Um, but this time we're tweaking it just a little bit mm. because we, we want to have conversations that center around sort of the idea and the question of, okay, now what, you know? We yeah. tore this whole thing. We tore this whole thing down. Like we burned the hell out of it. <laughs> okay, now what? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that's right. kind of our our focus in in getting back together and you know having more conversations, doing more interviews. Um, we wanna we wanna, and I don't say this to you know for the cool factor or anything, but we do want to sort of push the boundaries. We want to broaden our horizons. We want to. We want to talk to people, you know, who we haven't necessarily talked to before. We want to have some uh, some old guests back on too. I, I really want to get Pete Rollins back on the show. I've heard he's launching a course or something called the Tyranny of Oneness, and I'm like, oh, we got to talk about that. <laughs> so, because <laughs> I, I can kind of feel where he might be going, and I think I could give him some company in it. But, but yeah, you know, we want to, you know getting away from buzzwords the whole deconstruct reconstruct thing but yeah. i mean it there is truth there that's why everybody uses the terms is because you know we've we've torn everything down and what's it going to look like to build something new uh yep. to go back to your metaphor caleb you know we could we could use the rubble and build from there or we could just go to lowe's or go to home depot and buy all new building material True. you know I mean, it's, yeah. it's whatever, you know, it's whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever it is, is most true for the individual. Um, so we want to help people because we know the, the largest growing demographic, you know, in the faith and religious context in America is the people who call themselves nuns. And I think yeah. most of the time I land in that demographic too. And, but, but, you know, my, my hunch is that the nuns, it's not that they have forsaken spirituality altogether. They are just totally like, man, fuck all this organized religious bullshit, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, I'm there too. And so, yep. you know, we, we want to we wanna still explore spirituality because I, I believe, John believes that the, the, this group of the ones who call themselves nuns, you know, they're very much interested in spirituality. Um, yeah. But, you know, the the church on the corner is just not happening for them. And so, right. and, 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 and that's true. That's my truth, too. I don't go to church. It's not meaningful for me. Um, I, I, I can't find any meaning there, and I, it just feels like a waste of time. And so, right. yeah, we're we're relaunching with that focus is the okay now what question you know what do we do that's now? great oh man that's awesome that's fantastic can't wait to hear what y'all come up with yeah i can't wait to hear it either <laughs> it's a work in progress <laughs> we'll all be surprised it's, it's a work in progress for sure cool well thank you so much scott for your time and i'm sure that we'll stay in touch uh we got a Got to get you back on here, or maybe on another another one of the shows on the network here, and uh, and keep keep uh, watching each other as we try to figure this shit out. Maybe helping each other out 
along the way. Absolutely, man. Uh, we are the answer to our prayers, aren't we? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for the invitation. Pleasure getting to know you guys and talk to y'all. I really appreciate it. And we'll definitely uh, reconnect. We'll, we'll reconnect on down the road. Okay, bud. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN. If you enjoyed this show, you might also like another post-Christian podcast, Pastor Jay Baker's Revolution Church. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Why are they being separated like this? Is it because they said the sinner's prayer? Is it because they went to church when they're supposed to? Let's find out. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, they're confused. They're confused by this. They're confused to even be separated into the side that is receiving a benevolent judgment. They're befuddled. That was a post-Christian podcast. (laughs) 